0: Well, we're, we're excited that you're here, and if someone hasn't said that to you already, Happy Easter. You know, as you think about Happy Easter, I was thinking about that. However, there is a question about that. Do, do you know what happened on Easter? What, what, why do people celebrate Easter? Because He is risen. And some people say He's risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, I just read something just recently where they said the most important word in Easter is indeed. Not only did He... he supposedly rise from the dead, was risen from the dead, but indeed he was. However, we need to understand that not everyone on this planet believes that. As we think about that, uh, there are 2.3 billion people, that's the recent uh, statistic on that, that are gathering in settings like this to really just understand uh, and to celebrate what this day is supposedly all about, that there was a man named Jesus who was born in uh, Bethlehem and was known Jesus of Nazareth. He went into a, a tomb and then three days later he rose from the dead. But for many of uh, those who are contemplating this particular day, it's, it's just a story. It's just a, what you would call a fairy tale. I was looking uh, just recently about the most popular fairy tales uh, in our uh, western world. And the, the top four were Cinderella Beauty and the Beast, Little Red Riding Hood, and my favorite, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And the and thing about Easter is that's somewhat like these fairy tales. They, they captivate us. They intrigue us. And particularly when we were children, we were enamored by them. And, and if we get to see the film version, we're just amazed about the, the looks of what might have happened in that story that was written became very popular. But, but what about The story of Jesus raising from the dead. Now, we know it's a familiar story. The reason we know it's a familiar story is is you look at just book sales. And in 1995, I don't know why they ended there, but the Guinness Book of World Records uh, gave the award to the Bible as being the most sold book in all of history. Uh, And they, at that time, said it was over 5 billion copies that had been sold. And since then, 425 million, they estimate, are sold every year. And just by way of comparison, uh, the Quran has about 800 million that were sold, so not in the billion rings. You have... uh, the Book of Mormon, about 180 million. And for many of you, the, uh, the whole Harry Potter movement, uh, the, most popular, the most popular one of that series was about 120 million. And then if you're an historical reader, The Hobbit by Tolkien, that's about 100 million. But as you think about the Bible, it, is, it, is, it has been dispersed throughout the entire planet, and it has been written in every language they can figure out uh, so that people can hear the story. But the question is, is this story true? And even if it's true, because there are a number of people who look at some of the evidences and just giving you a clue of what we're doing here at Grace Hills Church. We're doing a series on look in, and this is the first of the look in part, parts of the series. We're going to look at, at what happened and what should we come to believe about Easter. But then we're going to ask next week, well, why should we believe that? You need to know what you should believe, and then why should you really believe that. And then we'll look in, well, what happened next? Did, did God leave us all alone? Jesus was here. Did he, did he send anyone here to help us out? And we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit. And then why do we gather like this? We're going to look in at the church. But this morning, we want to look in, and I've entitled the message, the tomb. And if you have your outline, you want to pull that out. That'll help me stay uh, on time and make sure that you're listening. If you're not listening, I just repeat myself. Over and over and over again. So I'll try not to do that. But we're going to look in, and I've entitled the tomb. I didn't want to insert the word empty tomb, though we put that in all our descriptions of this day, because that presupposes the tomb was empty. At least two people were listening to me, right? You're right with me, all right? Because when we say it's looking at the empty tomb, we're already telling you that this is what exactly happened. And for many of you, this is a familiar story, but there might be some details about it that, that you're not really up on. Uh, not because you're ignorant or haven't been taught this. And you just don't, you don't hear it over and over and over again. Because sometimes people believe about the Easter story because uh, they have heard the story from people who had, who had already believed. And, and maybe they thought, well, they were presupposed to believe. They had already been convinced it was going to happen, and, and sometimes when you're convinced something's going to happen, your mind tells you that it actually what? Did happen, right? Well, I want you to know is we're going to look at just a story. And I got to, the reason I'm speaking fast is because that's my habit. But, but the other part is um, I, I do want to end on time. We're going to look at the account in one of the four accounts in this big book called the Bible uh, in which we hear those who came to the tomb And we're going to find out they weren't really expecting it to be empty. And that's somewhat surprising because they, more than anyone else who has ever lived on this planet, they had seen Jesus. They had heard Jesus. They were amazed by the miraculous things he had done, and they were captivated by what he said about life and how it rang so true to their own experience Many of them had even been changed by being with him. And, and yet at this place, at this point in which he had already prepared them. And we don't have the time, but I could go over passage after passage in the Gospels in which Jesus said, oh, by the way, he didn't really intro, intro it that way, but he said this, he said, I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to be crucified. And then three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. And he said it over and over and over and over again. And you would have thought those who were his closest companions, both men and women, would have expected that at least it would have been a strong possibility that when they went to the tomb, it would be empty. But let's catch it as we see it uh, this, this morning, as we uh, look at look in at the, at the tomb. And on that Easter Sunday, who came to look in and what happened? Now, this is Sunday, and as we think about it, many of you got up at various times during this particular day, but there was a group of people who got up really, really early. And I want to let you know that the the real heroes or heroines of this story, uh, other than Jesus, are are the women. The, The women, really, because of their devotion, not so much about their convictions by way of faith... But they were much more devoted to Jesus than the men. And and we see that because we'll read the account in which they came. And we're going to particularly look at one particular woman and and what happened when she went in to look in and and what did she see and what was the response after she saw it. In John chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to that. That's the only portion that I'm going to try to get you to turn to. There might be a Bible in a seat below you or behind you, whatever it might be, or you can just grab, you can just steal the person's Bible next to you, all right? In John chapter 20, we really find out what, what really happened, and what did the people experience on that first Easter? John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know at least there's one Pretty prominent uh, person named Mary. That's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's actually six Marys uh, in the New Testament. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but it is kind of fascinating. Uh, You have Mary, the mother of Jesus. You have Mary Magdalene, who was from the Magdala area. And, And then you had, interesting, you have another Mary. And you know how she's described in the scripture? She's the other Mary. Would anybody like to be called the other, you know, the other son, the other daughter, you know, not the real daughter, not the real son, but the other one? Well, she was the mother of James and Joseph, but uh, there were a number of people that came. Actually, it wasn't just one lady, though we're going to look at one lady. We're looking at Mary Magdalene, but there was Mary Magdalene, there was Mary, the mother of... Of James, There was a lady named Salome and Joanna. And there was also, as described in the other Gospels, there were a number of women who had got up early in the morning to go to the tomb. Now, the reason they got up early, because it was somewhat dangerous to go at various times, and also they wanted to get there before there was a lot of chaos possibly going on. So they left when it was early, but Mary somehow got ahead of them. And so this is the account. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, and while it was still dark, which means it was really early in the morning, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So what was her response? So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they had laid him. So she got to the tomb, wasn't expecting the tomb to be empty. In fact, earlier in some of the other Gospels, it says they were kind of worried when they got to the tomb because if the Roman soldiers weren't going to help them out, they were thinking, how are we and they came there for the purpose to, to anoint more fully the, the body of the Lord Jesus, uh, they, were, they were afraid they weren't going to be able to move the what? Move the stone. And, and when she got there, she was surprised the stone had been moved. And when she looked in and when she saw that the, the, the tomb was something that surprised her, it was, what was it? It was empty. What was her conclusion? It was a natural explanation. And as you look at the evidence about who Jesus is and why do people, 2.3 billion at least at one level, honor him and try to worship him, it's because people believe not only that the tomb was empty, but it wasn't empty because of some natural cause. Her, her, her explanation, well, that someone must have stolen the body. And so much so that she began to run to find out other people to help her out with this dilemma. Now, we, have, we, we sent a number of people to Israel a couple years ago, and if you, go to, if you go to Israel, there's a place called the Garden Tomb. And the Garden Tomb, we'll put those up on the screen right now. At the Garden Tomb, you'll find out that there's a replica, and some actually think this might be the place where it actually happened, where the tomb is, what is it? It's empty. And if you look inside, there's nothing inside the tomb as well. And, and as we look at that, we, we've got to decide, well, how do we explain that? And you look at every other world religion, there are none of the founders, there are none of the ones who promote it actually happened, who actually can claim to have followed someone who has died and then risen from the grave. But what I want to emphasize to you is that those who first went to the tomb weren't expecting it to be empty. We, we have heard that, that story, but they weren't expecting that story to be true. And this is what I would say about this. A woman named Mary Magdalene came to look in and left questioning what she saw. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe as you've heard this very familiar story and you, know, you have heard the story of Cinderella and, and you've heard the story of Snow White and Little Red Riding Hood, Beauty and the Beast. But is this one of those stories? Is, is this just a, a story in which there's got to be a different explanation than actually Jesus Raising from the dead. Maybe someone stole their body. Maybe what happened to Mary, she she went really early in the morning while it was still dark. Maybe she went to the wrong what? Tomb. I mean, anybody else here have gotten lost at any time in your life, you know? Maybe she just went to the wrong tomb. There's, there's all kinds of ways you can naturally explain this, but but when she went to what she believed was the right tomb, she was shocked because it was empty. And she saw, the the word for looking in here or seeing, it has the idea of she took a peep. She took a quick glance and immediately she made her own conclusion of what had happened. And she ran to to a couple men to help her out to figure out what actually happened. So what happened that first Easter? A woman named Mary Magdalene came to look in and left questioning what she saw. Well, let's pick up the account again. In verse 3, it says that so Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb as, as Mary had already announced that she had, she had thought that someone had stolen the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. The other disciple, we could probably figure out, was a man named John. And they, they went together initially after hearing the report from Mary. And as they went, the other accounts say that they... they they started off walking, and then they became so so anxious to see what actually happened they They went from walking to maybe jogging to actually running. But just like in any type where you run with other people, someone is faster than the other one. In fact, John probably was a little bit younger, had done a lot more cardio workouts, and uh, it, he was he was ahead, all right so the two of them are approaching. The tomb, in, and John gets there first. The two disciples were together. Uh, one read head faster than Peter and came to the tomb. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrapping lying there, but he did not go in. And, and so now Peter gets there. He 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 looks and, and he sees a little bit more than what Mary had seen. And then it goes on, it says, And so Simon Peter also came following him, or John had seen initially. And so Simon Peter came in, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on the head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now, when you go to Israel now, and if you go to some tombs that either... They think possibly could be the, the tomb of Jesus or something that that would illustrate it. Uh, you can go in, and and what you see is you see nothing. But when Peter came to the tomb, he didn't see nothing in the tomb. He saw the what? He saw the grave clothes, and, and the grave clothes were were. Were, were something that really caught his attention. In fact, there's a different word now. When he looks in here, there's a different word in the original language. And it's not just taking a peep or glancing. That's what happened when Mary first got there. But when, when Peter got there, it, it, it really gives you the idea that it actually comes from a word from which we get the word theater. And if you go to a theater, you want to make sure you see what's going on out on the stage. He begins to look a lot more intently And he sees some details that Mary didn't pick up the first time she was there. And he saw the grave clothes. Now, at this point, I don't want to take this any further until we look at John's response to this. But at this point, in another account, it says that that Peter was amazed by it. He was was marveling at, at what had happened. He didn't know how it happened, but he was marveling at what had happened. And some people are at that place in their Christian life or their pursuit of knowing where they want to follow Jesus. One is you're taking a peep. You're, you're kind of taking a glance. And, and you're kind of amazed that so many people believe all this stuff. But it's a, it's a pretty amazing story if it's true. And you're, you're thinking, well, how, how do we explain that? Kind of how Mary was to begin. And, and then some of us might be like Peter. And, and what we are is we're, we're people who, who come in and look in. And we leave not understanding what we saw. He saw the grave clothes, and he saw the face cloth, and it was placed in a very precise way, but he didn't really put the pieces together. And if that is where you're at today, hopefully we're going to help you put those pieces together. But then the other one shows up, and this is John, or the other disciple, and you might be asking yourself, why is, it, why is John called the other disciple? Well, at this point, the, the best we could say about this is John wrote this account, inspired, as we believe, by the living God. And he was so humble, rarely did he like to even use his own name. So he, just called the, he was just called the other disciple. And, and it goes on this in verse 8. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw... And what's, and, and what's the next word there? And believed. So he had three people coming to the tomb. The first one, and she's the bravest of the lot. She came there before the disciples were coming. The disciples were basically filled with fear, and they were in a depressed mode, and they, they were everywhere but there. But the, the, the women, and particularly Mary, they rushed to the tomb, and she looks in. She takes a peep, but she immediately makes a response that, it, that what happened? Maybe there's a natural explanation. And then Peter... He uh, gets there a couple steps behind John, but as soon as he gets there, John doesn't go in, but Peter, he's kind of, you know, bull in a china shop. He, he jumps right in, and he just amazed at what he sees. He looks at it intently, but he, he still doesn't fully understand. And, and then you have John. John comes to look in, and, and what happens with John? He left believing what he saw. And actually, it's kind of interesting, the whole trilogy here, there's, there's a word for peeping as you, as you see, there's, a, there's the eye or taking a glance, there's a word here for really looking intently and, and trying to see everything that's there, kind of looking at the theater part of it. And this is a third different word in the original language It really has the idea of, in fact, some people translate, he saw and he knew. And what he knew here is this was not something that happened by way of natural explanation. And part of that is just looking at it was right there. If the explanation that initially Mary gave, and we know that the religious leaders try to promote this as a possible explanation of the empty tomb as well, that someone had stole the body And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week as look why we ought to believe this. And there's many reasons to believe this is a true account. Historically, it wasn't some hoax. But as you look at the grave clothes, just think about it for a moment. If someone were to steal a body that had been in the grave for three days that had been wrapped up like some kind of a mummy, would they take the time to unwrap the body before you took the body out? That makes no sense at all. I mean, you'd take the body and you'd run with it. And the same thing with the, the face cloth. Would you neatly fold it? You'd want to get in and then get what? Get You don't want to be seen that you stole the body. And so when John saw this, he went the next step in his spiritual journey. He wasn't just questioning. He wasn't just at the point where he still didn't understand. Now he was confronted with the facts he looked at the evidence. This, there is no natural explanation that, that this body was almost, it, it just looked like it was risen directly out of the grave flows. And the faith's cloth was, was, was neatly put on the side. No one would steal the body that way. And so he came to the point where he believed. And what does it mean to believe? It's being convinced that something is true. And then that truth will make a difference in how you live and so as we think about the easter story or event uh, we all need to come to that place where are we on the options are we still are we still trying to give up with some natural explanation are we questioning that actually happened have we heard it maybe over and over and over again but we don't quite understand what it means or we like John, where he came to that place where he really believed, he was convinced it was true, and from that moment on, it changed everything about his life. He didn't understand everything. It goes on that he, uh, he didn't, at that point, understand the scripture fully, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. And it wasn't until afterwards where he appeared to them that their faith grew and their lives again were marked by the risen, living Jesus. But maybe this morning, what really needs to be addressed for you is, okay, this is a story that's either a fairy tale or it's a real event. Predicted in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, and lived out by Jesus. And he's changed lives down throughout the 2,000 years since he came the first time. And he's coming again. But what difference does that make for me? What difference can that make for people in my family? What difference can that make in my friends' lives? What difference does that make? And each one of these points I'm going to share rapidly, you know, it could be a sermon in its own, but let me just tell you, what what does the resurrection mean for those who really are convinced that it's true and put their faith and surrender to the one who rose from the grave? First of all, is you can have hope. You can have hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, and it's all based on the resurrection. You'll see this in every passage we read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word blessed means pray. God to be praying. We ought to be thanking him for what he has done. Who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again, to have a new life, and to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The the reason we ought to have the ability to have hope in this life is because there's something beyond this life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, no matter what happens to us in this life, we can be convinced we got a better future. Some people describe hope this way. It's it's positive optimism. No no matter how bad it gets, we know it's gonna get better. No, No matter what goes wrong, we know that God is gonna make things right. You know, we just celebrated, if you want to use that word, Good Friday, in which, you, how, how do you celebrate someone's death? Because the good that came from it, that we, we have a reason to keep on living. We have a reason to look at each day and say, God, what do you have for me next? But let's be honest, that's not where we all live. A friend of mine this week sent me a text, and this is, this is in his text. Do you ever feel self doubt? Right now, I feel pretty depressed and lonely with self-doubt. My mind is telling me what makes me think I'm good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm good enough to do all this. I'm not good enough to do all this. I, I know it's God not telling me this, but I don't know how to get out of it. What's interesting about this friend of mine, he, he's very successful. He has so much going for him. And, and, and yet, that was his own description of his life. I'm just filled with so much doubt. I, I don't feel I'm worthy or capable of doing the things I'm doing. I, I, there are times I, I, I feel so down, I, I don't want to live the rest of this day. Can you help me? And, and we need to understand as we go through life, there are gonna be times where that's what you're experiencing. You're, you're, you're seeing everything fail, or you're anticipating everything's going to fail, and, and you're wondering what's gonna happen next. And when Jesus went to the cross and rose from the dead, he said, I, I'm giving you a hope, and it's a living hope. It's a hope for now. And forever. But you've but you got to place your life in my hands, believing no matter what happens to you, I've got things under control. So why is the resurrection so important? You can have hope. But, you know, beyond that, it's... I've I, I, I got to read you another verse. This, this is, so, this is so, so important as you think about hope. Because hope sometimes can be nebulous. But in Romans chapter 13, 15 verse 13 says this. Now may the God of hope. So if you're going to get hope, you better get it from the source of hope, right? So who is the source of hope? God is the source of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So when you experience hope, it is that which produces joy in your life and peace in your life. Because he is a source of joy, no matter what is going on in your life, he is a source of peace and rest and assurance that that your life is in someone's hand, capable hand, capable hands, <clears throat> and that's found. <clears throat> excuse me, in the God of hope, who demonstrated that he's able to do that because he gives us a living hope because of the resurrected living living Savior. You can have hope. You can be forgiven. Probably that's the most familiar theme about the resurrection. For if the dead are raised, not even for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, which means without results, without any positive effect, with with no, nothing that will accomplish what has been claimed to be able to be accomplished. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is worthless. You are still in your what, your sins. And so, as you think about the resurrection, it's one thing for a person to die. There were thousands, there were, there were thousands and thousands of, of people that were crucified on crosses. There were many, many people that were executed that way. But there's only one who rose from the dead. And, and what he said on the cross, he said, It is finished. And what do you what mean by it is finished? Does it mean he just simply meant his life was finished? No, he, he meant the, the, the reason I came which is to die for your sins, to pay the penalty for your sins. Not just to die for you, but to die instead of you. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He he died in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. But if he didn't raise from the dead, that is an idle claim. He validated it by raising from the dead. Your sins can be forgiven. And we need to understand that that's pretty important because Let's just be honest. This is not only a good news story, but it's also a sobering story, because if your sins are not forgiven, the Bible talks about that we're all going to face a judgment. In Acts chapter seventeen, verses thirty and thirty-one, it says this: Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, um, do do you ever do you ever play that card? Uh, When I do something wrong, I say, well, I'm sorry. I didn't know any better. You know, (laughs) I I didn't know I shouldn't have done that. And he said, there are many times people will throw that card out that, well, I didn't know that was a sin. God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. That word repent simply is saying, hey, I'm going way, going down one path. I need to take a U-turn and go down the other path. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Let's let's just be honest. Uh, We all like to say, okay, Jesus forgave me of my sins. Now I'm going to live however I want to live. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us our sin, but also to change who we are. We're going to see that in a moment. And we're going to face God's judgment. If we've not settled accounts with God and taking the only pardon that's made available. So what, what's so important about the resurrection? You can have hope. You can, you can have your sins forgiven. You can see some people, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Jesus, and that's a euphemism for those who have died, have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only we are all men to be pitied, which means we are just fools. Now, I've now been in professional ministry for over 45 years. And that 45 years, there's a number of things you do just by the way of that's, that's your job. And, and I have officiated in countless, countless, which means I can't count how many I've done, um, funerals, all right? There's a, common, there's a common feeling by many people who have a loved one pass away. And, and that feeling is that, well, now they're in a what? Well, you, 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 know, the, you know the line, don't you? <laughs> the sobering thought about that is for some that's true and some that's not true. And the greatest hope, one of the greatest parts of our hope because of the resurrection of Jesus is loved ones who have given their life to Jesus is that we're going to see them again. We're going to be in their presence again. But why is that true? Because Jesus rose from the dead and we have partaken in that relationship by giving and surrendering our life to him. I want to see my dad again. And as impactful of a man he, that he was in my life, I have no hope for that apart from Jesus. And that's what Paul said. Look it, if, if we only believe in Jesus in this life, that he didn't raise from the dead, we, we, and it didn't raise from the dead, we, we are just, our faith is worthless. But the good news is we can see some people again if we know Jesus and they know Jesus, the challenge is make, make sure you're going to be there. Make sure you believe in the one we celebrate on this day. Just touching these other ones. You can have hope. You can be forgiven. You can see some people again. You, you can be changed. Romans 6, 5 through 7 says this. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death... We have died in Christ. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that you will no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Again, you, you, there's so much you could say about this verse, but let me just pick out a couple things here. He says, you know, you know what has happened? As your old self was crucified. The Bible says that he died in our place. He died instead of us. And really when we put our faith in him, our old life was put on that cross. And it's now been put to death in terms of us being accountable for all the things we've done in the past. And the old self is kind of described by this way is that it's almost like uh, uh, you know, when things get old, what, what do we do with it sometimes? We just throw it away, Right? And really, that's what he's saying here. Your, your old life has been thrown away. Don't be living the old life. And when you, when you decided and realized that you don't have to live the old life, now you can live the the opposite of old life is a a new life. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You can live a new life, which means because of the resurrection, our lives can be changed. It's a process. It's an ongoing experience. God begins it and continues it until we see him face to face. But the message of the resurrection is our lives are changed. We get rid of the old and put on the new. And then finally, and this is at the heart of it, is is you can be saved. In Romans 10, 9 through 11, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart of man... Believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Many translations, and they are good translations, will say, forever whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, will not be ashamed, will not be disgraced. The, and, and really, whenever you believe in something that doesn't come true, you know, you, you feel kind of ashamed and you're, you are really disappointed, aren't you? Well, when you fe- face God face to face, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be put to shame because you, you've taken that which God has offered and taken it as your own. And, and what, what is required for us to get in on the hope that only he can give? What does it take for us to have our sins forgiven? What does it to take for us to be able to really be convinced that we're going to see some of our loved ones again because we know Jesus and they know Jesus? What does it take for us to recognize that, hey, our old life is dead. Now we have a new life. What does it take for us to know we're really saved, rescued by God? He puts it pretty plainly here, doesn't he? Paul writes very simply. He says, if you confess to your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the tomb, that that empty tomb is, was empty because Jesus rose from the dead, you can be delivered from your sins and saved and rescued into a relationship with him. So I have a question for you this morning. Are you going to be there when this life is over? And before that life is over, are you going to be living a life that's changed by the, by the resurrection power of Jesus in your life? Are you going to go through life when, when you're feeling down and despondent and depressed, like my, my friend this, this week? Can, can you look to Jesus as the one who can bring you hope? Can, can you experience that, that this isn't something you just have to question or, or not understand, but you can, you can come to that point, like John, where you're convinced it is true and you put your life in his hands? It, it, it's, it's a simple step, but it's not easy. Because it really takes all of who you are to become all that God wants you to be. It is as simple as the ABCs. You got to admit your need and turn from your sin that which is wrong in your life. You got to be, believe that Jesus is the one who went to the cross and died for your sins and rose from the grave. And then the tough part you got to commit. You got to choose to commit to believe and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord, leader and savior, the forgiver of your sins. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that, whether you're online or right here in our worship center, to make that step. And I'm just going to lead you in a very simple prayer. The prayer doesn't save you, but your belief saves you as you place your life in his hands. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I want to put my life in his hands. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person on the inside. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.